lost it. Let me see it. Look at Adam Schefter. The Raiders. Free! Football fans, hope you had a swell weekend. I know you did. Why? Because football was on your TV. I'm assuming as much, at least, if you're listening to me right now. You want to hear what I thought about the football weekend. And it wasn't just pro football either. It was college football, grand college football weekend, and high drama off the field involving one of the greatest stars of the 21st century, Antonio Brown. If you haven't heard the news by now, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to give you all the beats of what went down in the last uh, day or three, let alone the last six months or so. But either way, uh, Antonio Brown, in case you have not heard, got his release from the Raiders. And surprise, surprise, a couple hours later, it was announced as all the world had forecasted. He was a New England Patriot just like that. I don't know if anything nefarious went on. I can read the tea leaves enough. I am not a... I Listen, by the way, I want to be talking about football. I don't want to continue to talk about uh, this one guy's melodrama and his uh, discord with yet another football operation. I think, though, and I'm not mocking uh, the hurricanes that, uh, or the hurricane that uh, went up and down the, the East Coast over the last week or two, but really, I've long said that we should rename hurricanes after football players, at least you would get devastated by something rugged, you know, like uh, Hurricane DeBrickashaw. Now that you know, would be like, well, there's no, there's no shame in that, you know. Of course, that that's gonna win. Hurricane Dick after uh, Butkus, uh, you know, like yeah, hurry, uh, yeah, Category Five kind of level sort of thing. But really, Antonio Brown is a human hurricane. Witness the damage he did to the once proud Pittsburgh Steelers organization on his way out the door there. And now he's devastated Mike Mayock, John Gruden, and the Oakland Raiders. Now the question is his greatest test, Bill Belichick's dynasty of the 21st century up there in Foxborough. In the meantime, doesn't look like they need Antonio Brown in Foxborough, not after the whipping that the champs put on the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday Night Football for all the world to see, despite all the platitudes about we got rid of all the distractions and we're playing for each other and the we're going to win games for the guys next to us. Let's see if the Steelers fall to 0-2, how strong that sentiment remains. We're going to be talking with uh, one of my new colleagues here and one of my longtime pals in the sports media, Mark Cabali from The Athletic. Make sure you're following him. He hosts the Immaculate Podcast along with the Hall of Famer Ed Bouchette, all Pittsburgh-based stuff. And, of course, that's what we always talk about here on The Athletic. Great content. Whichever football team you're rooting for, that's why you get in on The Athletic and uh, subscribe. Not later. Do it now as uh, things start to heat up in pro football. And really, it's the insights you get from the guys that are around the team every day that you just can't get from the national media. So let's dig in here. But first of all, uh, uh, Hardy Muzzletuff to our main guy over there in the corner, Quincy, a new father. I like it. Muzzle tough to you, Quincy. Ah, thank you. Much appreciated. Yeah, I'm and glad. Like, I hope I hope it distracted you from the Lions game. Huh. Yeah, it definitely did. It was a sad day. Again, for Lions fans out there. I mean, how can they lose? How can not even lose? They tied, but it might as well be a loss for us. Like you literally had the win twenty four to seven in the fourth quarter, but somehow the magical cardinals came back. Did you name the kid Megatron? No. That would be a pretty good one. It would. It would be a great name. Nobody else out there has that name. But you didn't go with that one. Nah, All right. Not that, this time. That was your choice. Um, listen, a little pat myself on the back, but also like the late great Jerry Orbach says to Patrick Swayze at the end of Dirty Dancing, when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. I'm not just here to throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks and then forget about it if it doesn't come true. Right or wrong, we will hold ourselves to account here on uh, on the fact check. And uh, so I will tell you what we did right, what we did wrong, or in terms of predictions. Thanks to everybody who signed up for the week one confidence pool. We'll keep doing those every week and they will be standalone. So if you didn't get in for week one, don't worry about it. Don't live life in the rearview mirror. Look ahead and we will play and give you uh, 
some uh, some darling prizes. I still don't know exactly what the prizes are, but I have been assured by Zuri over there that uh, you'll get something from The Athletic, right? We, we have received T-shirts. So T-shirts uh, week to week, and then we might have something special at the end of the year, but uh, stay tuned uh, for details on that. All right. As we dig in here now to what I said last week on the confidence uh, checklist, and by the way, these are things that I think are going to be true over the course of maybe the upcoming games or over the whole season for individuals or for entire teams. We'll try to put a number one through 10 in just how confident I uh, I am in those. Just let's look ahead very quickly before we look back at uh, week one. One thing that I now am fully in on is Carson Wentz. I was skeptical of what he could do, taking over, lots of pressure in a tough sports town. On Carson Wentz, as Nick Foles walks out the door, he rose to that uh, challenge, down 17-0. As we talk about, the home crowd became a home field disadvantage. They were booing down to the lowly skins, and then Carson Wentz went to work with his old pal, or his new pal, but old Eagles pal, Deshaun Jackson, throwing the deep ball. If you didn't see the highlights of that, you really should uh, take a look at the two home runs he hit along with Deshaun Jackson. Tight quarters for him to pull the trigger, pressure all around him, a lot of uh, very large human beings bearing down on him, and really in need of a rally for his own sake as well as the team. Getting housed at home against the Skins would be a uh, a sour way to start the season off. And Carson Wentz unloaded. And the quick release, the strength of the arm, and the strength in uh, in pulling pulling the trigger just before getting smacked uh, was the difference in that game. And it uh, portents good things for the Eagles. I'm now a nine on those Cowboys. The only thing getting in their way is uh is the Dallas Cowboys. Did I just say the Cowboys? The Eagles, I believe in. I also happen to believe in the Dallas Cowboys. Perhaps they will be the two best teams in all the NFC. Sometimes teams in the same division end up being the two best teams in the conference, and uh, that may be where we're tracking right now with uh, with the NFC East. The Rams, a little less impresses, uh, impressive for me. I have been doubtful, despite all the talk of my pal Maurice Jones-Drew and my other pal Mina Kimes both working with the Rams, coincidentally or otherwise. They assured me on the Dave Damashek football program that I do over at the NFL that all was well with that knee. I was using my own sense and the lack of touches, and it didn't exactly resolve itself in Carolina on Sunday. There are a lot of touches for Malcolm Brown. Yeah, when the game was on the line, they gave the carry to Todd Gurley, but who was getting the red zone touches? It was Malcolm Brown. And as they say in pro football, money plays, and the money wasn't playing. The money was standing on the sidelines watching Malcolm Brown playing in some big spots on on Sunday. So Todd Gurley's knee and therefore the entire Rams offense in 2019, my confidence in it, four. And the only reason I'm giving it four is because I believe in the coach and I believe that uh, this is now a coach's league. And then the one that I felt like had the biggest swing to it, I have been doubtful about the defense in Kansas City. I don't think you can really judge it when Nick Foles goes out as early as he does against it. The Chiefs offense gangbusters without Tyree Kill in the early return here. I think that there will be a little mild uh, downturn without Tyree Kill in spite of plenty of weaponry out there for the great Patrick Mahomes. So I think that'll tick down a little bit. And I think Jacksonville, I had no confidence in them going into the season. I feel bad for Nick Foles on a human level, but without Nick Foles, they are truly doomed. And I am a 10 on that one. I am sorry to say the Jags 2019 does not uh, finish in glory on any level. There is no playoff upcoming for them. There is no uh, uh, bounce back from a disappointing 2018. Wait till 2020 on that one. Chiefs, my confidence in them being at best a wild card, I'm going to put that at a seven right now um, because they still are a powerhouse offense, but I still like the Chargers more. And some adversity right out of the gate for him with uh, with Tyreek Hill going down. But now let's uh, let's assess the initial confidence checklist here with something that I guess I got wrong. I my on the confidence meter, it's not like I gave it a ten. But Gabe seated to my immediate right here, our resident Jets fan. You told me in advance. I just thought it was vapid sort of vapid sort of cynicism earned from the pain that past Jets incarnations um, had shown you. But no, it looks like same old Jets one weekend. 
Yeah, I mean, that was the Jetsiest Jets loss in a long time. Uh, it was nice to imagine that Gase and Darnold would somehow magically change things. But uh, at the end of the day, if you're a Jets fan, you're rooting for a team that forgot to sign a kicker and uh, can't finish in the fourth quarter, and that was that. That was grim, but the other side of that is, and it's probably an anomaly up there in the in the annals of pro football history, how many teams have had a plus-four turnover ratio and lost the game? It's it's remarkable. If you played the Jets' defense in fantasy, you would have thought, well, they, they must surely have won this game. They had a million takeaways and scoring touchdowns. No, no, in the end, without Mosley in the fourth quarter, uh, they suddenly couldn't play defense, and that was it. I, I'm sorry for having no passion for this. It's just a total unsurprising event. Well, it's I, the thing. Uh, this is the thing I was most wrong about, I guess, of all the things that I, I laid out for you last week, um, is uh, thanks to everybody who's subscribed so far, if you haven't yet. You know, shame the devil. Let's uh, let's get with it already. Subscribe to Football Fact Check on iTunes or wherever you find your favorite podcast, Stitcher or otherwise. Um, I, the the thing that I had circled was week two. I said, so long as the Jets can survive the Bills, we're gonna have two one and zero teams in the Browns, who I assumed would take care of business at home at least, and mainly because not to say I was sleeping on the Titans necessarily, but I just thought specifically. Miles Garrett versus whoever replaces Taylor Lewan is such a mismatch that that alone is going to be reason. Not uh, never mind all the excitement off season around Baker Mayfield and company. I thought it would be two one and zero teams with you know somebody was going to be two and zero coming out of next weekend's game or next Monday night's game and be two and zero and feeling good and maybe early on kind of tracking towards a wild card spot if not something more. And now they're both zero and one Browns and Jets and I. Am inclined not necessarily to to have fun around that, but I certainly am not in a position to have any fun around that. Not today, not as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, because now I see what it's like to be you, Gabe. <laughs> well, it makes me admire you more that you've stuck with the Jets for so long. Yeah, yeah. See, because remember, for that decade or so that it's been hell for us, you guys were heading to Super Bowls and AFC Championship games. So, I mean, it. That's why it's just so non-shocking a, a moment for us. Well, that's the thing that jumped out to me. And in fact, I really have been saying this through the offseason, and I, I, I hit on it in 2018 as well, is that you could kind of see it, I guess, from Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay is really where you saw this trend starting to emerge. And for better or worse, and, and frankly, I'll say for the worse, because football fans, I think, and I'm talking about who is the vast majority uh, or who is the consumer of Big time sports. There are a ton of diehards. If you're listening to me right now, I'm guessing you're a football diehard. I think, though, that the average fan of pro football in America likes stars. They like star powers. If, you, if you're if you into the research about marketing and otherwise, people don't care as much as past generations did about teams as much as they do individuals now. Odell Beckham outstrips even the Cleveland Browns in terms of popularity. And the same was true when he was on the Giants. So to me, maybe this isn't a good thing. I don't necessarily think it's a great thing. 21st century NFL is now fully a coach's league. I'm not saying that you can have complete garbage out there and still win games, but it's not a coincidence that last year's Super Bowl was Bill Belichick along with Brian Flores. Poor guy. I don't know wherever he, where he wound up, but uh, it can't be as good as no. Oh, <laughs> oh, Miami. Oh, yeah, well, good news for him. He's going to get to catch up with his old pals uh, this coming weekend. By the way, everybody who's predicting that that game could be 103 to, to minus six or whatever um, is forgetting the fact that this got Bill Belichick's stamp of approval before Flores took the gig. Otherwise, it would be maybe an all-time blowout. But I predict that Belichick will um, have mercy on his uh, old DC there and uh, take his foot off the gas. Although... I all anecdotally, maybe this I, is the only reason this is true, but I, I feel like it is, is that um, the Patriots, when they bring somebody in like Antonio Brown, they try to celebrate him, make him feel welcome in his first game. 
Ergo, I'm going to make an early prediction this week. Antonio Brown, two touchdowns at least against the Dolphins. I think they'll want to um, make him feel good, make the fans feel good. And uh, by the way, a middle finger to uh, to the rest of pro football, everybody up on Mount Pius saying that this is against the rules. This is exactly the way the Patriots operate. That's why I keep saying they're the closest thing to the 70s Raiders the 21st century has seen. Meantime, the real reason that the, that the Patriots keep getting the title games, keep getting the Super Bowls. And this is not to discount the great Tom Brady, but if I have to decide, have to choose, it's sort of like the nature versus nurture argument. It's not 100% in either direction, not even 80-20, but I do think ultimately Belichick is more important than Brady does, and I might get some pushback on that, but let's take a more global look at it. Sean McVay takes over. Remember, Jared Goff, after his rookie season, was an abject bust, a joke of a guy. What a terrible pick the Rams made. Sean McVay comes in. He's suddenly an MVP candidate. Andy Reid has done miracles with Patrick Mahomes, highly talented. Would Mahomes definitely thrive under any circumstances? Doug Peterson got Nick Foles to a Super Bowl where he beat Bill Belichick. Um, there, there are plentiful examples of the teams with good coaches and to, versus teams who are a lot of, you know, it wasn't, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, 1974 or anything like that. I'm talking about within this millennium that there was room for the platitudinous coach like Rex Ryan or Herm Edwards, or maybe even we can apply that to Mike Tomlin. Um, it seems like the room for that creates uh, that now, if that's the way you're operating as a head coach, overseer of all, I'm the CEO of this thing, but I'm not really getting down into the nitty gritty of scheming either the offense or defense. That creates a major deficit for your team in this era right now where wizards are doing things. And and maybe the best example and the one that uh, to kind of lead us in then to the thing that I got, another thing I got right in terms of confidence was I was very confident this offseason, and I said as much last week, in Dak Prescott and the Cowboys offense, not because of any of the individual pieces. Again, Zeke Elliott, very important to what the Cowboys want to do this year. But Kellen Moore taking over from Jason Garrett at all is the biggest change they've made. He's taken them from the 20th century into the 21st. And lo and behold, they smoked the New York Giants. And you can be a vapid cynic more if you want to and say, oh, it was just against the Giants. That's a terrible defense. That Cowboys team looked really good. That's why they're my uh, my Super Bowl um, pick there. The Browns, a grave disappointment to many. They didn't have an offensive line. They still don't. Turns out that uh, you cannot be a fantasy football team and succeed in the NFL. You still have to have uh, have some punch up front there on the offensive line to survive. We'll see how they do against the Jets. And I think that a lot of people are talking about the Chargers performance on Sunday as some sort of a flop. That is my AFC team. Although, listen, no jive. I think it's hard to argue against the Patriots right now. Um, that it were had I known the AB news, I might have taken the Patriots to go to the Super Bowl here. Um, as it is, though, the Chargers are still awfully talented, even with Okung on the shelf for however long he's going to be out. Derwin James out defensively. That that game in Carson, California, against the Colts was such a classic early season Chargers loss in the making, and instead it was all inverted. That the Colts came in there and their Hall of Fame kicker missed two field goals and an extra point, and the Chargers kicker, who's really their punter, was making uh, his kicks, and that's the margin of victory. Maybe the sports gods are finally ready to smile on the Chargers. How say you, Gabe? No, I, I no. mean, no, all right. I, I'm, I'm all for it, but uh, I, I think they're still going to be the Chargers, whichever zip code they're in. I do think, you know, that was a little something for everybody. I'm sure that uh, the Colts and their fans feel a little bit better. Big rally by Jacoby Brissett. They almost got it done. Adam Vinatieri's 40-something-year-old uh, right toe uh, failed them a little bit. Uh, you know, that's the other side of Tom Brady. It is weird to consider, though, that Tom Brady, that I, watching Adam Vinatieri miss, miss those kicks. I mean, Adam Vinatieri, 20 years ago, was out there kicking the game-winning field goal for second-year guy Tom Brady, and it feels like Adam Vinatieri has not been on the Patriots 
for about uh, 27 years now. And he's still in the league and still doing it. Maybe he's running out of gas and maybe the glimmer of hope for the rest of the AFC, nay, the NFL. If you were watching on Sunday night, you probably were feeling a little low, thinking, yeah, my team's good and I hope they win the Super Bowl this year. And then you watch that game and you watch them beat up on uh, the Steelers and you're thinking, well, what's the point? Let's just jump to the Super Bowl. The Patriots are obviously going to win it. it. It is a cliche. But it is also true that Father Time is undefeated and Tom Brady was heading in the wrong direction, even though they won the Super Bowl, was not looking great in December and January. And uh, there stands the chance that that could happen even with the, uh, I mean, the, the I mean, all-time powerhouse offensive pieces that, uh, that are now in there for him. And uh, speaking of that, though, with the, with the coaching and uh, the, the, differentiation really it was 10 or 15 years ago just about that every NFL team ran some variation of the same offense situationally some coaches might throw the ball where other guys might run it but it was essentially the same thing and it was really about the talent that you had out on the field like I say though it feels to me more like it's about uh it's about coaching and it's about uh um how much risk you want to take on given the situation or even your overarching philosophy. I can't imagine we, we, we swooned a a decade or so ago when the dolphins ran a little wildcat with Ronnie Brown. And that was, and that, you know, that flamed out after about a fortnight and rightly so direct snapping. That wasn't that tough to, to solve. But the Baltimore Ravens went all in in this age of spread offenses versus putting your quarterback under center versus um, running some play action and all that sort of thing. And now the Baltimore Ravens running this wishbone stuff. I know it was against the Dolphins, but again, cynicism aside, the Dolphins are the issue is not. Um, talent on defense. They do have some legitimate, especially in the secondary, they have some really talented guys back there. So it's not like you can merely write it off as, well, Lamar Jackson, yeah, he could do that against the Dolphins. Yeah, Minka Fitzpatrick was was good and is good. Xavier Howard is good. That's why he makes a lot of money. It's not uh, it's not jive to to light up that Dolphins defense, at least, especially with their new, de- with their new head coach, Brian Flores, and what we saw him do to the Rams in the Super Bowl. Um, but my goodness, I, I got on the record. I feel good about it. He was high on my confidence list that this Ravens offense with Lamar Jackson would work one week in. I look like a genius. Yeah. But I mean, you're, you are sort of breezing past the fact that they played like Florida Atlantic university. All right, well, I'm, I'm not saying they're going to go 16 and oh, only the Patriots can do that. And by the way, I want to say that. That's the thing. We This is the only thing. You're a Jets guy. I'm a Steelers guy. This is what we need to perpetuate, Gabe. Mm. That if they go anything worse than 16-0, and 0, it's a colossal failure. <laughs> yes. Oh, you only won the Super Bowl and you were 14-2? and two? Uh, Could have done better. You know? Two games out there, you could have won. It's like Cam Newton getting tackled in high school. Did it happen once? All right, then you underachieved. You yeah. know? It's that sort of effect. In the meantime, though, let's get it to Mark Caballi to talk from the from an inside perspective. He was with the Steelers in 2017 and 2018. He wasn't just hearing the whispers. He was a part of them. He was uh, he was telling me exactly what was going down while you heard national voices weighing in, throwing stuff against the wall to see if it was true or not. This is one of the guys who actually knew what was happening with Levy and Bell, Antonio Brown in the 2018 Steelers, and he still got his uh, eye set squarely on the banks of the Three Rivers. Here's Mark Cabali. All right, here's one of my favorite fellas uh, in the uh, sports media. He's just launched a fine new Pittsburgh Steelers-focused podcast with the the banks of the Three Rivers legend, Ed Bouchette, the Hall of Famer. It's the Immaculate Podcast. It's Mark Cabali. What's happening, Pally? What's up, Jack? How you been? Well, I was a lot better until Sunday night. You know, I, I I wasn't deluding myself, just to make it clear. I knew that the Steelers weren't going to win in Foxborough. All of a sudden, because the team decided to play for each other, I didn't uh, suddenly think that uh, they were going to go up there and vanquish Tom Brady. But uh, I think this may have been the most embarrassing performance of them all, and that's saying quite a thing in the 21st century. I don't know. There's, you know, there was a one, what, about five, six, seven years ago, when they went up there and LeBeau was still the defensive coordinator 
and they dropped like 50 points on them. And I think they put up like 700 yards of offense and they burned the city down in Pittsburgh and already rebuilt it again. It was, and I remember that one was pretty ugly because that was where people just wanted Dick LeBeau's head on a platter. So, I mean, th- this one was pretty bad as well, but those are like 1A and 1B. I'm not sure if you remember that one, but that one was pretty ugly too. I try to erase them from my memory, but unfortunately I do remember that. Let's talk about here. I have a lot of questions for you. Um, and uh, let's start with this one, looking forward before we look back. How important is now week two? Because I kept saying yeah, uh, that all this talk through the uh, spring and summer and through training camp that, oh, we're so much better off without the melodrama of AB and the questions about Lev Bell and all that kind of stuff. And now we're just playing for each other and it's so breezy. I said, let's see if they get to 0-2 because we can almost pencil in the Patriots' loss. But if they come home and lose to the Seahawks, I don't. I, I feel like that whole narrative and all that... Uh, um, Let's do it. Rah rah stuff is going to go out the window. How say you? Yeah, you know it is pretty much a must win here Sunday. Not only that they're playing the Seahawks as a home opener and they're coming off that thirty point loss in New England, but the following week they go to San Francisco. If you know anything about the history of the Steelers over the past twenty five years, they don't play very well in places called San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles. Anywhere on the West Coast, they just absolutely implode. doesn't matter if your team is good or bad. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they go out there and lose to the 49ers, which would mean this one would be, you can't start 0-3. I mean, there's stats all over the place. They even suggest if you start 0-2, you're in a pretty pretty big hole to start off here. But I think what we realized on Sunday was, yeah, they might be better off. They're better off maybe... Monday through Saturday, but are they better off Sundays without guys like Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell? I know it's one game and all, but what I saw against Sunday was is it was a bunch of guys, that, at least on offense, in my opinion, was guys that weren't really on the same page, weren't really not knowing what to do. I think a lot of that had to do with Moncrief missing a ton of time in the off in, in the preseason. There's two. I mean, Roethlisberger didn't play a lot. Connor didn't play a lot. Not much of those guys played a lot at all, and it's hard to get those guys on the right page. So if you want to try to convince yourself that it's the issue and everything will be good after one game, I think that's the way you look at it. But it's definitely, I mean, a very important game here. And then typically, historically, when a game like this, they will usually come home and win. So I think, I don't know if they'll be more focused or whatever you want to call it, but it's definitely back against the wall right away because you don't want to start 0-2, then head to San Francisco, then like two weeks later head back to L.A. or something like that. I mean, they can usually start to see them 3-3, and and that's not obviously very good. Well, the the thing I would also point to, and there are two sides to to the story that we saw on Sunday night, which is, of course, the Steelers were disappointing, but the Patriots are the New England Patriots, the reigning Super Bowl champion, six-time champs. I don't think I need to run through the resume for anybody. But I didn't sense, as usual, that there was a massive margin in talent on either side there. So then that naturally leads me to, once again, that Bill Belichick got the better of Mike Tomlin and the coaching staff in New England um, worked over the Steelers coaching staff once again. Too simplistic, or is that uh, is that obviously the case? I think not only that, I think that trickles down to some of the players as well, even though they talk a good game and say they're going to go up there and win. I mean, the coaches are in their head up there. I mean, there's no denying that. And it reminds me of the wonderful movie, Jack. You remember The Replacements with James Falco? Sure. I don't know if you watched that movie. Uh, I will tell you just, I I have to interrupt you because I know you're a cinephile too. Just for the record, Shane Falco is not as good an Ohio State quarterback as Johnny Utah um, from Point Break because Johnny Utah took his Ohio State team to the Rose Bowl and that was pre-BCS, which means they won the Big Ten and that's how they got to the Rose Bowl, whereas Shane Falco's Buckeyes were an at-large team, so by definition they didn't win the Big Ten that year. Now, please, proceed. Something tells me you've thought about this for more than just a minute or two. Perhaps I have. Falco, maybe just a little. 
Well, I remember a, a great part of that movie was is uh, uh, they asked him what the Gene Hackman's character asked him what he's afraid of, right? What they're afraid of. One guy says bees, another guy says spider, and Shane Falco says quicksand. They're like, well, quicksand? What are you talking about? You know, he goes, well, one thing goes wrong, and you struggle, and you try to make up for it, and you just sink deeper, and you you try to fight your way out, and before you know, you're over your head. That is a perfect example of what happens to the Pittsburgh Steelers every time they go to the Gillette Stadium. They think they're going to play with these guys. They fight. One thing goes wrong, and they're like, uh-oh, it's the Patriots. Let's fight back a little harder. And all of a sudden, you have Josh Gordon running down the middle of the field, catching big touchdown passes, they fight harder, and all of a sudden, there's another a mistake that leads to a big play, and before you know it, you're over there, you're there over your head. That is the Pittsburgh Steelers every time they go to Gillette Stadium. That goes with the coaching staff and the players. The majority of these players, a lot of these players, were a part of this team. You know, two or three losses up there, too, very similar to that. So that's my analogy of the day. Hmm. It's like quicksand. Right? The one mistake, you're done, and they just keep fighting. It's just it's like the only place it happens with the Steelers. But it happens every single time they go there. Yeah, it's weird. It, uh, you know, for whatever reason, the Patriots do just have their number. But my hypothesis is, is and going more global, is that whereas Tomlin's platitudes, even as recently a decade or a dozen years ago when he got into the league with Rex Ryan and John Gruden and whatever else, guys who, you know, are out there with their, uh, with their um, you know, muscular kind of cliches and the the platitudes about like the men in this room own this situation they brought got themselves all that stuff only goes so far especially when you're talking about actual offensive or not offensive but just football schematic geniuses and it seems to me that Sean McVay, Belichick, Josh McDaniels, Andy Reid, Doug Peterson at all it's not coincidence that those are the winning teams now and it's diminishing returns no matter how much talent you have. It's now a coach's league. Do you agree? Yeah, you have to be where you have to be able to adjust on the fly. I'm not even talking about a head coach. I mean, even the assistant coaches. And you look what happened Sunday. I mean, I'm not a very smart man when it comes to X's and O's. But I know darn well when the Patriots put two running backs out there the Steelers were going to go with their big formation and defense and two linebackers. When they put certain three wide receivers out, they went with their dime. If I knew this stuff, do you think Bill Belichick might have known this beforehand? He knows exactly. Tom Brady knows exactly what happened. So they know darn well what people they put out there, what plays are going to work. They knew that they were going to play man. They knew that the crossing patterns work against man. They know you can't play zone against Brady because he'll pick you apart. It's like there were two, three steps ahead every single time, and a lot of it has to do with the schematics. I mean, the Cubs good. I mean, last year when they were in Pittsburgh and they beat them, they, I mean, you think about that. I mean, they gave up seven points, I believe, to the Patriots at ten, and one was like second play of the game, and they shut them out from that from that point forward. I think this Patriots team's a little bit more talented. But the facts were they, they did some things differently last year that they weren't expecting to do, and it threw them off. Sure, it helped them at home as well. But you have to give them something they're not expecting, and I think everything that the Steelers did out there yesterday or Sunday, Belichick knew what was coming, and when that happens, forget about it. Um, all right, let's talk about you talk about the uh the lack of playmakers there, specifically twenty-six and eighty-four. I'm guessing that's who you're talking about. And I, you know, we can go on and on about uh, trying to forecast if Juju and James Washington and Moncrief at, at all can combine to uh to get this thing together sooner rather than later. But let's talk Antonio Brown quickly then. What's your prediction? Does this work? We don't have to go into how he wound up in New England and got out of Oakland and all that jazz. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. I now do have to ask you. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but do you think here's the most logical sort of pathway? I don't think AB was calculating this three or four weeks ago, but when things started to go south, is it unreasonable to think that Drew Rosenhaus or even James Harrison would say, hey, listen, I got out of Pittsburgh by taking naps and meetings and being disrespectful and I got released and I can help facilitate a pathway up to uh, Belichick and company. Do you believe any of that stuff is true or did it all just come together on a Saturday afternoon? 
Yes and no. I, I could see Antonio doing that to try to get out of there and get to New England. But another thing I know about Antonio, you know, he doesn't really care about winning as much as he cares about money. So to be able to be willing to give up the kind of money that he had, guaranteed money, money over the past three years was 30 plus million, 50 total in, in uh, Oakland. I find it hard to believe that he was willing to give that up until he thought that it was absolutely a point of no return. Then he did work his way out of that. And I, I'm sure that there was, I don't know if there's going to be any, you know, looking into what happened or whatnot, but I mean, Rosenhaus is a small guy. He knew New England was interested in him before, but it's still a risk to take because, you know, I mean, if he would have pushed it so much, if the Raiders wanted to really be idiots, they could have just benched him for the whole season, to be honest with you. And they could have tried to fight for his money and then say, contract detrimental to the team. We put you on the bench. You can't go sign anywhere else. Now he's not playing. He's not making any money. He's not in New England. You put all this together. I find it hard to believe that he would take that risk. But, hey, he ended up in New England. And I you know, listened to some of the radio shows in New England on my way home. On uh, Monday, from uh, they they think they've got Mother Teresa coming up there and Antonio Brown. I think they got another thing coming. I've been covering this guy since 2010, whenever he was drafted. There's a couple things that I'm absolutely sure of with Antonio Brown is number one, all he cares about is himself. Number two is he's impossible. He's incapable of being on time to anything. It's not like he tries to. He's incapable of doing it. And he's all about himself. It's all about team. Money, team, can't be on time. Unpatriot way. It might not happen now. It might not happen in three weeks. But when Josh Gordon gets 13 targets and 10 catches, Antonio Brown gets four targets, there's going to be an issue. And I don't think Belichick is going to put up with it as much as anybody else. And he'd be gone immediately. So, last the whole year in New England, I just don't see it, Shane. I don't see it. Bill Bella Chickaris. He's flown too close to the sun. He's managed a lot of these. They are, as I keep saying, the 70s Raiders. The 21st century Patriots equal the 70s Raiders in so many ways from the top on down, if you think it all the way through. But primarily now in the last year, this new posture of like, we don't care if anybody likes us. In fact, we like you booing us and disliking us. And if you're a talented guy with a checkered whatever, or things ended badly somewhere else, we'll at minimum kick the tires on you. And the returns are hard to argue with. Albert Hainsworth, Michael Floyd, et cetera, didn't work out at Ocho Cinco and beyond. But, you know, here they are with Josh Gordon and A.B. It is interesting to consider that uh, that maybe it'll end up being the snake, uh, the snake that ends up biting them. Uh, because right now it feels like 15-1, and one, anything less than that's going to be a disappointment for the Patriots. But Kabali, 21st century as it gets. Make sure you're following them on Twitter. And even more so, make sure you're looking them up on the Athletic Pittsburgh. Make sure you're following him and Ed Bouchette and the great new podcast, Immaculate Podcast. Uh, best wishes with it. Know it's going to kill for you and Steeler Nation, especially if they can uh, find a way to beat the Seahawks and get this thing back on track at least for another week. Kabali, you're the tops, fella. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, silver and black. Antonio Brown turned his back on you. The question going forward is, where does Raider Nation go from here? Check out State of the Nation, a football podcast hosted by The Athletics. Vic Tafer, Jimmy Durkin, and Ted Wynn, they have the Raiders coverage, commentary, interviews, and more all through the season. That's State of the Nation on The Athletic Podcast Network. Go subscribe today. Good stuff from uh, from Kabali there. Appreciate him jumping on the phone with us just after landing there. Sounded like he was at baggage claim. The audio maybe not great, but the insight certainly was, and we'll look forward to kibitzing with him more. And really, this is something I plan to do a lot on this show is tap into. This is the best resource we have are the guys who and, uh, and women in the locker rooms bouncing off these players and these teams all through the season and all through the year for you. They actually know what's going on. They're not speculating about these things, about who's going to retire or not 
I, I, you're picking up what I'm laying down there. Kabali speaking the truth. Interesting forecast, though. He's on. Uh, he parks his car in the same garage as you, Gabe. He doesn't think this AB thing with the Patriots necessarily ends well. Yeah, well, you know, Kabali's a wise man. Apparently. Now, let's see how wise I am. It's time for uh, one of our game shows. This is three shows we've done now, and each one we do a different sort of little game here. It's fun. Yeah, we're going to play a little game. This will sound familiar to people. We've cleaned up the language a little bit. Try to follow along. We're playing start, bench, or cut. You got three options for three things that go in one category. So we're not marrying or killing or otherwise. Nothing like that. Okay. Very different concept here. I got you. Okay. So we're going to run you through a few. You'll see some similarities in the names we throw at you. But are we starting, benching, or cutting among these, uh, these young quarterbacks? So we're going to go with Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, or Lamar Jackson. You got to put them each in a bucket. So each needs to go. So two guys can inhabit the same slot. No, you can't cut two of these guys. You got to live with one long term. You got to give one a little sample and you got to tell one uh, to hit the road. Ooh, I like this. So once again, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. Well, and, and is this forever or for this season? Uh, well, you know, like marriage is supposed to be forever. If this guy's on your team, he's, he's with you forever. Sheesh. This is tough. I think that you have to say if this is forever and it would be different if it were only for 2019, but forever, I have to go with Baker Mayfield because he has a lousy offensive line. So does Kyler Murray, but people who can run away from pressure early in their career can get by at least from a fantasy standpoint and maybe based on the rally we saw on Sunday in the desert there maybe the Cardinals can surprise a little bit I don't think they're going 13 and 3 no matter what well I guess they're definitely not going 13 and 3 they could go uh 12 3 and 1 at this point but either way I liked what I saw out of Kyler Murray kind of what I expected giving defenses fits because when you get an offense into third and longs, you feel like you have them where you want them, and it's backbreaking emotionally when the when the quarterback can continually run away from pressure and burn you. It's what you saw very early on from Andrew Luck and RG3 and his big rookie season. When you can negate pressure, it doesn't work forever, but it does work early. The problem is, and that's why I don't want uh, Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray long-term, is because at some point, that option gets taken away from you by nature and your and your body getting beaten up by that. Baker Mayfield isn't attempting to play that kind of ball. His limitation this year right out of the gate would appear to be the offensive line, but if they write that, he is still pinpoint accuracy. I What I did say is that he would throw a lot of interceptions this year, and he's off to a good start in that regard. Oh, wait, did I get it all, though? Well, you got, now you got to make the hard choice. Now, one of these guys you're, you're going to sample, you're going to have around, but the other guy is gone forever. Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. Well, I'm going to sound like uh, I, I, I'm going to be a hypocrite here because I've said I believe in Lamar Jackson, but I believe in Lamar Jackson, and I think I'm on record on this show as saying it, I believe in Lamar Jackson and that offense for 2019. Mm-hmm. I think it will be solved. Okay. Long term. I do not think Lamar Jackson can play the way he is playing right now and do that. Um, and, and do that. I, I don't think five years from now we'll be talking about. Can you believe it? Still running that wishbone. Well, so enjoy it while you can is what I'm hearing. I like it. I, I, I find it enjoyable. It's not my favorite team, but I, uh, I do enjoy the variation in offensive styles uh, that we're seeing in pro football. It's very much like college football was when we were growing up. All right, let's uh, let's move to some guys who had promising debuts with their new teams. So same rules. You got uh, one for the long term; it's going to hold on. One, uh, you give it another look, and another, you're not buying it at all. So we got Odell Beckham Jr., Deshaun Jackson in Philly, and Le'Veon Bell with the Jets. Well, I'm going to go with I'm going to keep Odell because he plays wide receiver and won't take the physical beating. And what's further, Le'Veon Bell maybe won't even ever have to take the physical beating because I surmised from his behavior over the last year, he cares much more about how much money he's getting paid than being in a good situation. I don't think he's going to be somebody grinding it out on a, on a three and nine team saying, give me more touches coach. I think he, 
um, is uh, despite the fact that he set in his own mind that the most important thing was guaranteed money. I think that the physical toll of playing football, whether you're on a good team or a bad one, will eventually creep in emotionally. So I'll take Odell. Um, he's in a good situation, has a good quarterback. And uh, so I like him for the next three years. Deshaun, unfortunately, um, is it cut? I think in this scenario, you know, we might have to work on the, the terms of this game. I will cut Deshaun. Oh, boy. Why, you want me to keep him? No, I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I think you got to say goodbye. But after what a nice day that was for him. It was awesome, validating, I'm sure, for him, too, to stick it to Chip Kelly wearing the dark green. I don't know whatever happened to Chip Kelly. But, uh, but yeah, so I will say I like Levian. Levian looked fine, Look, looked like Levian Bell pretty much. On Sunday, the difference was that he right out of the gate lost, and he's you know he is accustomed from his days in Pittsburgh. That was a winning organization, maybe a little disappointing, but uh, I think he's in in worse shape playing for the Jets right now. All right, we'll throw one last one at you. I think this one's a little more cut and dry here. Uh, NFC West had three winners, and well, one team tied, but three winners we're looking at. So the Seahawks, the Rams, and the Niners. I know you have mixed feelings about all these teams. Well, Jimmy G did do his best to throw that one uh, away um, against Tampa, but for what it's worth, they did pull away. They held on. The defense rose up. I don't know if you want to hang that on Jameis Winston, how much, uh, you know, as I, as I like to remind everybody, because we are, you know, and the athletic is a great place because if you want to focus on one team, you're able to do that. But do always keep in mind there is another pro football team on the other side of things that shakes up that equation. And I thought that Jameis looked lousy, but I think we can give a fair percentage of that to the defense that John Lynch has put together in San Francisco. It's why I took the Niners to win the division. And I'm not one week in, especially after a road win. I don't care if it was against Tampa Bay. It's a road win in the NFL. That's a good way to start the season. They stay as my division champion. The Seahawks really struggled against the Bungles um, at home. That's not a big surprise. We talked about that, that they might uh, come out of the gate a little sluggishly. Um, and so they did, but they survived that game. And the Rams went on the road and they beat a game, Cam Newton and company. And Todd Gurley, like we say, didn't get as many touches. So I'm a little skeptical of them. I'm going to still, though, say that the Rams are over the Seahawks in my book. So I go... Um, Again, tell me tell me them again. I can't keep them straight. I'm gonna start the, the Niners. It sounds like you're all in on the Niners. You I have. What do you want me to do? Back you, off them after a no, week? I'm not gonna. No, no. You don't like the quarterback. You're not convinced on anything, but you're just gonna start them. Then you're. I believe in Kyle Shanahan. That's what I believe in in this coaches league. All right, and then you want to see a little more out of the Rams, and you're ready to say goodbye to the Seahawks, even though they won. Uh, ready to? I don't know. That's your choice. This is a very defined set of rules you're cutting they the get Seahawks. to two and oh by dumping pittsburgh in a in uh with the steelers in a spot early on that they really can't afford to lose this game we all have that one who got away you might have to live with goodbye that. seahawks <laughs> all right i'm gonna i'm gonna bench this game until we <laughs> i liked it what you didn't like the game because <laughs> nah, i'm too dumb to I'm, understand I'm terminology kidding. i think well, it was a little bit of the setup guy didn't really Give you a clear I picture. I enjoyed it. You're three for. Th th I, or is it you, Zuri, who's cooking up these games? Uh, we're all cooking up the games. We're all half a hand in the kitchen, uh, but we're we're gonna we're gonna iron it out. And I liked it. I liked it. And our big game every week is uh, is the confidence pool. Join us, of course. And uh, Zuri, tell everybody how they uh, they can join us for week two. Yeah, go ahead and join our Balto Confidence uh, list. Well, you can you can click the link in the show notes. So you can also click the link in any episode notes that uh, you are listening to this podcast on. How'd I do? What was yeah. my final number? Okay, I can tell you the the leader has uh, 101 points right now. That's Andrew W. Shout out to you. How do you even get to 100 points in one weekend of football? He's um. He's he's got a lot of confidence and he's making a lot of right picks. Can we do maybe going forward? Can we immediately shake it up and not just keep it to the sixteen NFL games? Can we throw in like maybe three college ones every week? That'd you know, be fun. Right now we're only calibrated for the NFL, but uh, stay okay. tuned. Uh, check Dave's tweets and uh, check back. We might I, have a new we, setup. We got some nice partners on this one. I think they might be able to help us. I'm out. I'm not such a snob that I only watch pro football on Sundays. I I I, I whet the appetite. 
each Saturday with some college sure. football action. And I know Gabe, you enjoyed watching uh, Keaton Slovis I, after I all the hand wringing and in here in LA, we're coming at you from El Segundo, California. A lot of, a lot of nervous uh, talk. A lot of the sky has fallen for USC football fans. Suddenly turns it around with a big win against uh, Stanford. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed flipping the dial around that Texas and LSU was a beauty. Two QB slinging it back and forth. Uh, trading shots. Uh, that was an exciting game coming out of uh, out of Austin, Texas. There, watching, and not just because McConaughey was in there, preening right, on the sidelines. Right. Yeah, that was a good game all the way around. I think uh, I'll tell you what. We'll we'll have to check with the guys who who work on the product. But if we can kick out a few NFL games, so we don't have to put confidence on things like the Dolphins. Mm, that's an and, easy and, 16 you know, maybe yeah we scratch out the easiest one. yeah next time the you know the bills and jets are playing let's not even we don't want to talk about that i hear you and zuri yeah <laughs> what i how many points do i have if okay. 101 is in first how many do i have dave you got 58 points oh my goodness 58 points i'll say the eagles seahawks browns and jets tripped you up this week but uh only the sky's the limit going from here 58 points all right well, now, was it a lack of confidence? Did Dave mis- misappropriate his confidence, or was he just missing picks? What What's the, the issue The here? biggest miss has to be the Browns. I mean, I, but I, I think that if you do survivor pools, uh, I, I mean, I got to think the Browns were prominent. I mean, I think the Eagles probably and the Seahawks barely survived for the people that took Seattle in week one. That seemed like a gimme, too. But week one, as we always say, the hardest week to call out of any in, in the NFL. You know, Dave, you got a lot of your middle picks correct. I'll say that. Um, the high and low confidence picks didn't do so well, but um, you got Chargers, you got Ravens, you got Cowboys, you got Cards, you got the Patriots, and you had all those right in the middle. So uh, yeah. we'll see what happens. Don't call me a homer. I told you that the <laughs> Patriots were going to win and how. Um, all right, are we going to wrap it up there? What do you think, Zuri? Yeah, let's wrap it up. All right, thanks to uh, Mark Cabali. Great stuff there. One more time, uh, the Immaculate Podcast with Ed Bouchette. Track that one down. If nothing else, it will be an interesting season in Pittsburgh. Follow along there. And in fact, while you're at it, why don't you just fill up your entire cell phone or laptop or otherwise with all the athletic podcasts, the podcast network uh, breaking out here just in time for NFL season, now heading towards week two. Come Wednesday, we will have the week two forecast for you. We'll lay it all out for you. The confidence pool, who's going to win these games, and all the big storylines as A.B. gets ready to take on the Miami Dolphins down in his uh, neck of the woods there, South Beach. I do think he's going to score two touchdowns. I'll give you that early prediction uh, right now. But uh, good stuff from Gabe and Zuri. And there's Cam over there and, uh, and to the proud papa, Quincy, congratulations once again on, uh, it was Barry, you named it? <laughs> Hipple? Hipple? <My> yacht. <laughs> right, listen, let's keep that open. If, you, if you're uh, a Detroit sports fan, maybe you could drop us a line and, uh, and suggest a name, because I don't think we've cast anything that is unbreakable yet for you, Quincy. Patricia maybe works. Harbaugh? Bo! <laughs> what about Bo? You can't do better than Bo. Nah, that's true. It's a good name. Yeah. Anyway. All right, so uh, a couple days uh, break here, and then we'll be back on Wednesday to set the table for you in week two. In the meantime, for the fellas here in El Segundo, California, thanks so much for listening. It's been a thin slice of heaven.